Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving to you as we uh, celebrate uh, this weekend. Uh, this is kind of an interesting year. It happens every five, six, seven years, depending on how leap year goes. Uh, normally, the Sunday after Thanksgiving is also the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, that is not the case this year. We have an extra Sunday, uh, meaning that Advent starts next year. And so while some of the decorations are up, there will be additional decorations, including the nativity scene, Christmas songs. We are in full Christmas mode uh, next week when you come. Uh, but today we are finishing up a, uh, a theme that we've covered for the month of November called Devoted. And really what that stems out of is on the 16th of September when we gathered for a vision day, we considered the fact that uh, maybe where God was moving us inside of this year is uh, to focus back inside of some of the, the core fundamentals as far as who we are. And we chose that verse, Acts 2.42. What would it look like? Imagine what it would look like if we uh, lived out the model of what an Acts 2.42 church looked like, where uh, things like teaching and prayer and fellowship and community were emphasized to the point that our connections grew. Our mission statement is to connect people with God, with one another, and with the world. And so what if those connections became stronger with the Heavenly Father who loves us and with uh, the community of faith that surrounds us and the relationships that, that God has provided for us inside of life and with the world, with this idea of purpose that you are uh, created to make a difference uh, for Jesus Christ inside of your world. And so what would it look like if we uh, focused and became uh, much more connected and much more healthy as a body of Christ together. And so that has been uh, kind of our emphasis really for the next year. And so we thought that we would revisit that here inside the month of November. November uh, sometimes is a stewardship month where maybe you grew up and, and the month of, of November was geared towards, yes, the money talk, but maybe the, the time, talent, treasure, maybe the three T's is how you heard that, or uh, the membership vows that inside of our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service. Uh, typically in November, around the idea of Thanksgiving and just before Christmas, uh, that is the emphasis. And so that's where we've been around this idea of devoted. Because Acts 2.42 begins with the words that they devoted. They devoted themselves. And so inside of devotion, we looked at, uh, in week number one, uh, devoted faith. That it begins with, uh, what have I done with Jesus? Uh, have I opened my life to Jesus Christ? Is there um, something going on inside of me that, that captures my attention, that captures my affection, that reorients my life? And what does that kind of devoted faith look like? And Bill led us in that as we considered uh, Mary and Paul um, and inside the Old Testament, Abraham, and, and what that looked like uh, to, to have a devoted faith. Week number two, we talked about devoted family, and, and that wasn't we tried to make the distinction, not just, I'm devoted to Jesus, therefore I should also be devoted to my family. That is the case. Uh, but that God has wired us for relationships. And that the early church grew as they went from the temple courts, but also to house to house. And that their, their lives were interconnected. They had the opportunity to speak into and to love into and, and to care for one another and to encourage one another. And at times maybe to confront one another, that there was true community taking place. And we made the observation that, we live in a different world even than just 10 years ago, certainly 30 years ago, 50 years ago. Community, community is much harder to uh, facilitate and, and to build into our lives, but it's never been more necessary. That we build into, that we all have people to rely on, that when the point in time that we need people, there are people there because we've built our lives into one another and we haven't just lived 
these isolated lives, that community is there for when I want or when I need or when it happens to align with my schedule. So we moved from devoted uh, faith to devoted uh, family, then last week to devoted finances. And if you were here for Money Week, I, I thank you for that, that it's always difficult to talk about money in church, but uh, what we you know, aimed at, and thanks for your feedback coming out of that, is we want to be used for God, that what you do with what you have demonstrates whose you are. What you do with what you have demonstrates whose you are. And as we unpack that through four symbols, we want to be people who give, that generosity is built into our lives. We want to be people who give as a first priority, not out of the excess, not out of the leftover, but to, to give as a priority inside of our lives. We want to be people who give a percentage and evaluate our giving based on not the amount, but what percentage, what ratio of my world does this represent. And we also want to be people who increase our giving, not because we have to, not because there's some legal requirement or some compulsion from the church to do so, but because what begins to take shape inside of me that what I do with what I have demonstrates whose I am. And, and so that brings us, all these have been present tense realities. My faith in Jesus Christ, my commitment inside of relationships with the people around me, and what I do with what I have, all that God's entrusted to my care. Today we move to thinking about a devoted future. That devotion to Jesus Christ is not just about in the here and now. What do I do today? Do I do my devotions today? Am I nice to people today? Am I helping out with something today? And we live these fast-paced lives to the point that you can try as you will to be devoted today, but then every once in a while you have to look out and say, does God have all of me? Is my future in the hands of God that God could literally send me where he wants to send me, do inside of my life what he wants, and the big fear is if I say yes to that prayer, I'm going to be sent uh, to be a missionary in Africa or Antarctica with the penguins or somewhere that I really don't want to go. He's going to send me to love the difficult people inside of my life that I really don't want to get that close to. It's easier to love them from a distance. And so there's sometimes hesitation inside of us to yield that or to pray that prayer. But the reality is you were meant to have an impact far outside of and greater than yourself. None of us want to live lives that are just lived for ourselves. We want to live lives that are invested inside of other people and ultimately that are invested inside the kingdom of God. And so part of the discipleship process, part of the devotion process in my life is, yes, I want a relationship with you, God. I, I welcome you into, into my life. Thank you for the people you've blessed me with, and even when it's difficult, I'll pursue community. What I do with what I have demonstrates whose I am, and so I want to be more open-handed. And you know what? My life is yours. It's in your hands. Would you use me, the, the talents, the abilities, where I live, where I work, the context of my life, the family, will you take and can somehow you make sense of and give meaning and purpose to this life that I live? So that's where we're going to go today in, uh, in the time that we have together. Once again, we are in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. If you have not memorized this by now, today's your last opportunity. I make you this promise, we will not talk about Acts chapter 2 for at least the next six months or eight months. We've uh, been four straight weeks there, and uh, we'll be moving on somewhere different next week, I promise. Acts chapter 2, verses 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It says they enjoyed the favor of all the people, that the Lord added to their number daily. And, and it, inside of this, we've mentioned for the past several weeks, it, it seems so far from where we live type of reality, right? It, it seems like that they're living in, in this um, context and circumstances that we can not possibly live in. But I think it's much more difficult, it's much more even like our context than you would think. You see, in, inside of this first century church, um, yes, they know that, that Jesus has come, that it, it's just been weeks, if not months, away from the events of the resurrection. Everyone inside of Jerusalem has heard of Jesus, either firsthand or secondhand. The rumors of his resurrection have begun to swirl around the city, and there are some who claim to be eyewitnesses of it. And, and so the early church is formed, but it's in this context of we, we are still inside the, the Jewish faith. All the initial converts were Jewish. And so they continued to go to the temple, they continued to go to the synagogue, but now they had this newfound reality that we've found the Messiah, that Jesus has come. He's the one that we've been waiting for and hoping for for centuries. But yet not everybody gets that. And so they're living inside of this world where the temple goes on as is. And there's sacrifice, and there's meetings, and there's the teaching of the rabbis, and yet they find themselves in need of something more, and so they begin to gather. They're still going to the temple. They're still participating in, inside of the faith that they've been brought up in, but now there seems to be something that's a little bit more real, more vivid. Everything becomes clear. And so inside of that tension, the early, early church begins to exist. We're Jewish, but yet there's something different about the people of the way, the, the people of Jesus. We're still connected, but yet we feel disconnected. And so they began to, to, to huddle together. They begin to find strength in one another. The disciples begin to teach, and, and, and all of a sudden the teachings of Jesus now make sense where before it seemed like Jesus was just talking gibberish to them. Now everything becomes clear. And the Lord adds to their number daily. It doesn't say that he multiplied. It doesn't say that they open the doors one day and there's 5,000 people just waiting to come in. And I think in, inside of my imagination that as they begin to live this out, as some of these young Jewish children who now had found faith in Jesus find themselves in school or outside, or parents at work or in the marketplace, as they begin to interact with each other on the streets, there's something that says we may not believe what they believe, but there's something attractive about them. We don't know that we see Jesus the same way, and part of us thinks you know, that you guys are a cult, maybe there's something dangerous about you, but tell me more. Tell me more about your life and about, about Jesus, and, and because I'm hearing all the rumors, but yet you guys seem completely different than that. And inside of that context, it says that the favor began to grow. If you fast forward to chapter 4, there's this interesting verse that says, no one dared join them, and yet the Lord added to their number. And so there's some that stand back and say, there's something crazy about those people. They love each other a little bit too much. They're a little bit too exuberant about the, the rabbi that was killed on the cross, a criminal's death. 
But then at the same time, we want to know more. We want to look in from the outside. Even if we're not ready to come all the way in, we want to know more. And so I think there's this future component that begin, we begin to see. Again, Luke is writing 15 or 20 years later, and he's summarizing this. But I think if you place yourself right there, there is their individual and corporate reality of what they're doing day to day, and then there's the reality of what God is doing over time in their midst to bring about a harvest and a fruitfulness to their ministry and to their witness inside the city. They begin to reorient their lives around something that's much greater and larger than themselves. All of a sudden, what I want and what I've expected in this carefully constructed life that I've built around my faith is shattered by the reality of who Jesus is in our midst. And I'm invited into it. I'm invited to be a part of it. And so devoted faith, their individual faith is personal and deep. Their devoted family households begin to come to know Jesus and and are reoriented, and community begins to take place at a deeper level. There's radical giving and sacrifices. They devote even their finances. And they seek God's leadership and guidance for what he wants from their lives moving forward. You know, we all have hopes and dreams, plans and wishes. Oftentimes those dreams and plans and wishes and hopes are different from the current reality of our lives. That's why they're called dreams. If you dream that one day you're going to be in this type of relationship or have this reality for your life physically or, or materially or get to this place inside of your career or one day I hope to fill in the blank, most likely that's a dream because it's different than your current reality. We usually don't dream and say, I want to be just as happy as I am right now. God, will you make it so? Lord, in five years, I want to have as much money in the bank as I have right now. May it be so. I want to have the same problems and circumstances inside of my family relationships as I do right now. Those aren't our hopes and dreams. We think about things that are different from our current reality. The one exception might be is if you find that things are spiraling the other way. And so if my health is deteriorating, if, if my finances are deteriorating, if I think the the circumstances in our nation or our culture are deteriorating, then you might pr pray a prayer that says, Lord, could it be the, can you preserve it where it is now because it's going the other way? But all of our dreams involve some level of progress, some level of growth, a different reality than what we're currently living in right now. And I think those dreams are God-given. I think there's something within us that longs for things to be different than the way that they are. And I think I would go further that there's something deep within us that wants to live for something that outlasts us, that provides more meaning than just what I think that I want in the here and now. But there's a longing for significance and for impact. So sometimes we ask, what's God's will for my life? What's God's plan for my life? I think when you read the chapters in, in the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament, when you read the biographies of saints, you, you come up, against something that there, there is a devoted future, not that God is going to bring to pass everything that I want, but that I'm a tool in the master's hands. I'm able, able to be shaped and molded to the image of his son, and I'm willing for him to do whatever he wants to do in and through my life. 
main phrase I want us to wrestle with for the next several minutes is that you are meant to live as a means and not an end. You've heard that phrase, you know, means and ends, and, and usually it's used, used in the context of the ends justify the means. Meaning that if we get to the output that we want to get to, it doesn't matter how we got there. And so sometimes you've heard that used, and, and so let me just illustrate this a little bit for, further. The end is the goal, the destination where we hope to end up. The final result, what it's all for. The means is how we get there. It's the pathway, it's the behaviors, it's the action, it's, it's the patterns that it takes to get to the desired end. And so you may say, I want to have a happy marriage. That is an end. You don't get a happy marriage just by wanting a happy marriage, just by declaring you want a happy marriage. You get to a happy marriage through the means of communication and date night and a weekend away and whatever it is, you know, that you build in, read a book together, whatever the case might be, but there is a means to get there. You cannot just declare that the end is the case and have it automatically be there. When I was five years old, I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. So I crawled underneath the dining room table. It was perfect because, you know, you had the four legs. There's chairs either side of me. You could see out the front because there's no chair in the front. And I would kind of steer around using the little, like, underside of the table. And I declared to myself I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. Today I stand before you. I've never flown in a helicopter. I don't like heights. I'm even subject to a little bit of vertigo. I am not going to become a helicopter pilot. I declared it when I was five years old. That's what I wanted to be. I had my own helicopter in the dining room. Didn't materialize. And so if you want the happy marriage, you engage in means that help make that happen. If you want to be fit, you have to eat differently. You have to work out. If you want to build wealth, you actually have to work and save a little bit of the money that you get when you work. If your goal, the, the end, is to have everybody around the table at Thursday afternoon at 1 o'clock or 3 o'clock, that is the end, but you know your body is feeling it probably still today, the means it takes to get there of baking and cleaning and cooking and the preparation it takes. You are meant to live as a means and not an end. The problem is everything inside of our culture says you are the end. You are it. Even inside the church, this isn't just some atheistic thinking that you're the end, it's all about you, and when you die, you become worm food, and that's it, and fine, we're good. Even inside the church, sometimes we say, Jesus came and he died for me, to give me purpose, to give me what I want, and so all I have to do is ask anything in his name, and, and all these things, and I'm not picking on those verses, but sometimes we even bring this into the church that you think you are created for you, when you're meant to be a means, not an end. When you make this yourself the end, you aim for human happiness and find that it's a moving target because whenever you get to that next thing, it doesn't make you as happy as you thought it would. When you make yourself and your career the end, you find that when I get to such and such salary or position or my office in a certain spot, then I'll be happy and fulfilled. And you find that when you get there, it's not what you thought it was going to be. When you make yourself the end, it rarely satisfies, but always leaves you unfulfilled and at times even unhappy. When you make yourself the means, you ask the question then, what is it that God wants to do in and through my life to be a blessing to someone else, to be used for his kingdom, 
that when I get to the end of my years, the sum total of all of that wasn't spent so that I could get what I wanted to feel like I was something that people want to remember, but instead my life is given for the glory of the kingdom of God. I know this isn't nice and neat and easy that you just declare it to be so, and my life is all for the kingdom of God, and I don't think about myself ever. It doesn't mean that we don't get to have nice stuff or enjoy life, but it means that at the end of the day, my life is meant for something larger than me to make a difference. And so you read through the book of Acts from chapter 2 to chapter 5. They didn't consider what they had as their own. Even their possessions were tools in the hand of their God. Upon arrest, they said, we cannot help but preach Jesus. Upon being released, they pray not for peace, not for prosperity, not for safety, but they pray for boldness to continue to proclaim Jesus in what is a growing hostile environment inside of Jerusalem. When they're persecuted and, and scattered, even though they have to say goodbye to the community that had been formed, they rejoice in the fact that now the gospel is spread throughout the entire Roman Empire because they live for something greater than themselves. They lived as a means, not as an end. A couple things just to drive this home, and then hopefully we'll end a tad bit early. Um, now that I said that, there's no chance of that happening. But um, the first is that tomorrow's status is shaped by today's actions. Tomorrow's status, tomorrow's end result, tomorrow's legacy, whatever it is, impact upon this world, is shaped by the actions of today. Your future is cumulative. As you continue to invest and to do the right things, and you do your devotions, and you try to follow through, and you give yourself in areas of ministry, it's not as though each and every day is this great big check mark that we've arrived, but we continue to invest in the direction that we know we should invest. There are no overnight successes in business. It might appear like it, but you don't realize that version 39.B that really sold for millions of dollars came after 38 failed attempts where the, where the person almost quit before it finally became an overnight success. The same is true inside of our spiritual lives. Jesus gives us one of the timeless truths when he says, you reap what you sow. You always reap later than you sow, but you always reap what you sow. So the thing is, even when no one's looking, or when the results aren't coming, or when you don't feel like it, do you continue to live today in a way that's going to help you and the kingdom of God thrive tomorrow? The future is unknown, but it's not arbitrary build on the things that we've continued to invest inside of our lives. And if you want to know the best way to get to where I want to be tomorrow, be faithful today in what's been set before you. Number two, tomorrow's impact is shaped by today's focus. The best way I can demonstrate focus is if we had a garden hose here with a nozzle on the end of it, there are a few different settings. If you take the shower setting, or maybe there's one even worse than that, you could spray it and you can make a large area a little bit wet. If you turn that a couple of notches to a very focused spray, I could hit Aaron Harrison right on the forehead and make his, his forehead a little bit red right where it hit it. That by focusing the impact of something, it can make a greater difference than when it's spread. The problem inside of our lives is that we often try to do so many different things, cover so many di different bases, and hope that we get to the place that we want to eventually be. When the reality is when we begin to put first things first, and the focus of our time and our energy and our resources goes at first things, 
produces a result and an impact inside of our world. So I mentioned that this year we're focusing, connecting with God, that relationship with him, connecting with other people inside of community, and connecting with the world, our purpose, connecting with what God has for us. When we begin to make the main thing the main thing and we're not distracted by what's on the periphery, there's an impact that's able to be happened in and through our lives. The third thing, tomorrow for me is shaped by a willingness to live today for them. Your future is always best lived out when it is others focused. So I'll ask a question, what's the faith of the next generation worth to you? What's the faith of the next generation worth? Depending on what, what that is, if you're a teenager here, the next generation even seems non-existent yet. But, you know, if you're 60 years old, if you're 50 years old, if you're 40 years old, what's the faith of the next generation worth? I think the answer is everything. That we would take what's going on inside of our lives, the, the 20 years, the 50 years, whatever it is, the teaching, the experience, the worship styles, everything else that's gone into it. And by the way, I'm not coming to a big gotcha moment where we're going to change up everything. But I think inside of our lives, we have to live open-handed, not just with our stuff, but even with our preferences. That if I'm going to live in such a way to make an impact inside of my world, I live for something that is not me. And it even means my preferences and my wishes and desires and maybe the things that worked inside of my life, I'm willing to set aside for the sake of the next generation coming to know and love Jesus Christ. Your greatest contribution in this world will probably not be a what, but will be a who. The kids you get to raise, the people you get to love and help and serve, the children and youth that you pour into on Wednesday nights. Your greatest contribution is probably not going to be a what. We'll long forget the what's that we've done inside of our professional careers and the, the great ideas we had, but the thing that continues to exist exist long after us is when you invest yourself in a who. So being a means to an end. I think, I don't know that I could summarize it to a formula, but as we wrap up this series, I think there's three things that really come uh, clear for me. The first is I need to be responsible, receptive, and active inside of my relationship with God, that my relationship with Christ, my faithfulness to God, plus my willingness to engage in community, our partnership together, our willingness to do life together, and not just in small group time, but in normal life, inside of, of one another's homes and inside of one another's lives and in the lives of our children. My faithfulness plus our partnership means that we can have a purposeful impact inside of our community and inside of our world. I believe that the local church is God's best laid plan for the redemption of the world. I believe in the local church, not just because I'm a pastor, but that's why I'm a pastor. I believe in the local church. And I believe that when we get this right, that when we have authentic relationships with God and powerful and transformative relationships with one another, there is no limit to the impact of the local church inside of our community. When lives can be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, when we begin to live out biblical community, I believe today in hope. Hope not because the trajectory of our denomination or our nation or even our community or the, our great ideas as a church. I believe in hope because I, 
I believe that the one who owns and holds history in the palm of his hands goes before us and goes with us, and all he's looking for is a few willing people that says, God, you can have my life, whatever you want to do and however you want to use me, I am yours. It's what I want to give my life for. And I think there, there comes a point for all of us that we say, do I want enough Jesus just to make my life better? Or do I really believe and know that my life is best lived out when it's placed inside the hands of my God? Because we're meant to live for something much more than ourselves. You weren't meant to be an end, you were meant to be a means. Now, before I wrap up, I, I don't want to miss this. As I was writing this message, I remembered the time and the circumstances around my calling to ministry. And I'm grateful for the fact that there were people inside of my life, when I was an introvert and I couldn't sing and I didn't want to stand in front of people, there were people who over and over again said that God has a plan for your life. Are you willing to do whatever it is that he has for you to do? And there was a moment in time that I finally said, yes. And I think it was a, a, a few weeks before my calling to ministry, but it was, I think, a precursor to what God was, willing, was, was able to do and wanting to do in and through my life. And so this morning before I go, or before we go, I just want to ask you, has God been nudging inside of your life? Maybe it's to help in a certain spot, step into a certain area of ministry, or maybe it's even as you consider what your life's greatest investment is. Maybe God's calling somebody to ministry. Might be part-time, might be, you know, just volunteer at, at Kids Alley in Camden or, you know, by going a couple times a year to, to Haiti or somewhere like that. Or maybe God's calling you to submit your life and to lay your life down to be used by him and however it is that he wants to send and use and mobilize you. We want to be people who say yes in those instances. Let's pray together. Let me ask you this morning just to think for 20 or 30 seconds here. Is my life a, a means? Or ha have I been approaching it like it's an end? Probably if it's an end, it's not that you're a terrible person or that you're not helpful, but at the end of the day, everything revolves around me. And it's a moving target. Because when I think I get there, the target's moved. When I get there, it really isn't as satisfying or as fulfilling as I thought it was. As we think of what it means to devote our future, I think the first prayer is, Lord, would you make my life a means and not an end? I think the second piece of that is that we're called to make an investment and an impact inside of our world that's much greater than ourselves. So I wonder if, if God is prompting, speaking, moving for you to do something that's somewhat uncomfortable. Maybe it's with a couple hours of your week. Maybe it's with your entire life. I, I don't know what that is. But would you, inside of this moment, Open yourself to what he wants, that he's built you and wired you and made you 
to make an impact. We don't want to settle for anything less. God, we thank you for all that you've done for us, for calling us unto yourself, for equipping us with, with people inside of our lives and with experiences and things that help us grow inside of our faith. Lord, would you help us to live as a means and not an end? Would you help us to be obedient to your prompting inside of our, our lives that when you move us to serve, that we say yes? And God, I pray that if there's anyone here that you're calling to something specific, something permanent, something that maybe even scares us, that we would be open and responsive to your voice today. Thank you today for the hope that's ours. Not just that one day we'll spend an eternity with you, but that you can take and use our lives to make an impact much greater than ourselves. We ask that you would go with us as we leave this place today. We pray in the powerful, the awesome, and the matchless name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. Thanks for being here this morning.